if you were a homeowner, you know, 10 years ago, good for you because there's been a lot of appreciation in housing values over the course of the last decade, right? But if you were a renter, um, not so good for you because rent continues to increase and increase and increase. And so, you know, as a financial institution, there are only a number of things you can do to really move the needle for a generation, but getting more diversity in homeownership is one of those things that Absolutely. can do and not only have an impact on this generation, but on their kids' generations and for generations to come. Hey, it's Breaking Barriers, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging podcast. We're here for real talk. We're not afraid to go there. And we want you to come away emboldened and energized to take action and make change. We believe our diversity, our differences, when joined together by a common set of ideals, makes us stronger. When I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity. All right, all right. What's happening? What's happening? Well, welcome, welcome again to another episode of Breaking Barriers, brought to you by our silver sponsor, Rise to Greatness. Thanks for your support. My name's Anthony Arrington. I'm one of your co-hosts. Nick Ford here, another co-host. Joy Briscoe. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> We're going to have a good time today. We're excited. We're excited about our conversation today. Listen. In, in today's world, in the desire to advance diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, we, we know that there's a societal feeling that there's a lot of resistance to this, a lot of resistance. And there are people in this country and there are people in this world who believe that by advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it's somehow taking from others. Right? There's this, this defensiveness, and we, we see it in the country all the time. Right? And this defensiveness often comes from, from white men, it comes from men in power and privilege. But we're here to tell you on this show that that's BS. Stop it, right? Stop that. That is just simply not true. And in fact, we want to have a conversation with a, a very, very good white man that I know today uh, who doesn't think that way. And I think it's important that people listen to his story and understand the value of self-reflection. And, and I love that you said he doesn't speak that way, think that way, because it's one thing not to think that way, and it's another to, to actually do things. And so what I've known of Jeff is that he actually does things behind not only thinking that way, right? Because you can yes. say, I don't agree with that. And then just, you know, as a white person, you have the option to actually just opt out, right? Like, yeah. I don't agree with how you feel or whatever, but I don't have to do anything. And so I'm excited for us to talk to Jeff because he's actually a person that actually has done things behind the feeling. And even in times where it's been very polarizing and when we have a lot of things going on, he's still leaned into equity, right? And not be afraid of that. So I'm very, very excited. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in there and yeah, say yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Yes, tell us, tell us, way Nick. too complimentary. Stop so it. Tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about it, Nick. So Jeff, uh, we're going to talk a little about this retirement thing too, because I've last retired a few times for a couple months. Um, he's recently retired from his position as the CEO at Green State Credit Union. He was there from uh, 99 to just recently in September. Uh, so he has a Bachelor of Arts from Notco College. Well, why do we keep getting these non-co grads in here? I don't know. Sorry. Uh, so <laughs> for, he's got a BA no. from Buena Vista, yeah, further away from Cedar Rapids. Yeah. Storm makes a little distance. That's not too bad. He's a mm -hmm. certified public accountant. Uh, had his business master's in business administration from Uni University of Iowa, the Henry B. Tippy School of Management. Um, while he was there, the credit union experienced some incredible growth, about 19% per year. And they went from a $200 million to over $11 billion uh, company in assets. Uh, they became a large Iowa's largest independent financial institution, which is pretty impressive, because we know Iowa. There's a lot of a lot of banks, yeah. a lot of credit unions. Team effort. Yeah. Team effort. Mm -hmm. There we go. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, they serve over 450,000 members, 
and they have over 30 office locations across Iowa and Illinois. I didn't realize you were in Illinois. Yep. Yeah, That's some acquisitions there. Nice. Uh, him and his wife, Missy, make their home in North Liberty, Iowa, and have two adult children, one we were just talking about a little bit ago. Um, and uh, they work in investment banking venture capital. So welcome to the show, and we're excited about Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to ask the first question this time. I normally, <laughs> I normally wait a little bit. I normally wait to see what, what you have to say. <laughs> okay. So kind of like Anthony was saying, there's there's organizations, and, and Joy was saying, there's, there's individuals out there that look like you and I. And some, they just fight completely against diversity, equity, inclusion, blocking. And then you have other organizations, and we see this locally as well as regionally and nationally, where they say they tout the INB. Uh, they may hate, they may hold a, a conference on it even, or they may invite speakers in, um, and they throw some capital at it. But then you look at their organizations, and you look at their top line, and they all look like you and me. Yeah. Every once in a while, maybe a, a woman's thrown in there, mm-hmm. or it's a non-binary member, but they look in color like you and I. Yep. How do we come to grips with that? Like. Uh, you know, we have some people say, well, it's just Iowa. Well, I disagree. That's not just Iowa, right? If you look around, especially in big cities, that's not Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do we come to grips with that as in, in our roles as white men that are fighting this fight um, when we see these organizations? And the worst part that I see isn't so much that that's what they're doing, but you see a lot of people also that look like us in the communities supporting them on their journey and bypassing the small businesses, the minority-owned businesses, Things like that that directly impact the community. And so I want to be clear when you say, how do we come to terms with that? I'm going to infer what you mean is how do we get better at that? Yes. Okay. All right. So thank you for clarifying. The first thing I'd say is I want to be clear. Well, first thing I want to say is thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Every time we get to talk about this topic, it uh, energizes me. So second thing I want to say is uh, neither I nor Green State had it all figured out. Not not when I left. Um, Hopefully they continue on the trend that we've started in recent years. But I want to be clear that we didn't have it all figured out. The third thing I would say, and I'm going to get to your question here, is if you looked at our executive team when I retired, um, we were not diverse in terms of color, but we were 100% diverse in terms of gender. Our senior team was 50-50 between men and women. But that doesn't exonerate us of the responsibility to continue to bridge that gap in terms of the color barrier that that still unfortunately exists, uh, not just in the state of Iowa, but obviously throughout throughout the world and the country. So... You know, how do we get better at it? I think two or three different things. And again, I'll be clear, we didn't have it all figured out when we were there. But the first thing is to try to be, uh, and I'm pointing to myself when I say this, to try to be very deliberate and proactive in emptying my cup, maybe the things that I've learned over the years, to the brighter stars in our world that, that bring more diversity to the table. You know, we were talking about Kenya, Seto, uh, and Calderon, and Lindsay Kennedy on the way uh, before we got started here today. You know, what things can I do to be a mentor for Kenya, for example, or Lindsay or others do to be proactively emptying their cups 110% with the bright stars that we have within our organization today that improve our diversity. Mm-hmm. The second thing, and we weren't always there just yet, but when we did have openings in our in our leadership ranks, which quite frankly didn't happen all that often, I think because of our culture, to be really proactive in trying to reach out to people we know can bring uh, talented, um, diverse individuals to our organization. And that's the one where I felt like I just, I don't feel like we made enough progress on that one just yet. Quite frankly, again, because we just didn't have that many opportunities. But at the same time, just being proactive and setting that goal that diversity is important to you will bring talented people your way. I think of a guy like Broderick Benz, who uh, joined us, you know, maybe two years ago, um, just does a fantastic job for us as well. And so 
Broderick's with Green State in part because we began with that end in mind of saying diversity's we're not doing lip service, right? We had tried that maybe before, but people like Broderick, Lindsay, Kenya, they, they're the boots on the ground that actually make really good yeah. things happen in the communities that we have. So I think it's kind of a two-pronged approach of deliberately <coughs> emptying your cup uh, and then being proactive and looking for really strong leaders when, uh, when the opportunities avail themselves. And then I guess the third would be, what's your North Star, right? What, what are you trying to get to? Because if you don't paint that picture, um, you don't know what you're going to get. You're not going to get the kind of people that you need. And so if you paint that North Star about what it's really like, and I can convey, or as a leader of the organization, you can convey a real passion for it, then I think people will sign up. Yeah. Maybe. I hope. So that's good stuff. I, I, I want to expand on that empty the cup. Yeah. Because that's, that's, yeah. that's what really wanted me to talk to you again. So yeah. for our listeners, uh, I've known Jeff a while, and we've had some good conversations offline, yeah. but I know that you've been through a journey, a personal journey, and we talk yeah. a lot about our, in this space about everything has to start with self-reflection. Yeah. It really does. Um, and, and you've kind of, you've done that, you know. So I, I kind of want you to, if you don't mind, sure. tell, kind of tell your story yeah. of how you got to a point in your play, in your life yeah. where you realized that this was such a valuable thing to, to, to care about, a valuable asset to care about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I think that people need to hear that because it's powerful. And there are other people that probably think that way. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to condense the story because it's a long <laughs> story. But it began with in my um, when I was in high school, um, actually in elementary school. I take that back. Um, there was a, a young man that moved to uh, the community um, without parents um, from, I believe, Cambodia. Uh, Van Hardy was his name. And he was the only person of color. He was, Van is black, is, is black. Uh, he was the only person of color in Iowa County, Iowa, that I could tell anyway in my relatively small uh, world and Van and I became best friends. We both had a mutual interest in basketball. Uh, he was very talented at it, and so we spent a ton of time together. And so I kind of grew up naively thinking that I had no racial biases, if you will, in my world. I mean, my best friend in a in a town of of no black people was the only black person there. So I kind of thought I had well, I've got this all figured out. That's that for our listeners. That's that traditional. I have yeah. a black friend. Right. Syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. 100%, 100% guilty, put me at the front of the line there. And so, yeah. um, you know, went through kind of young adulthood and then, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, our son, Nate, we were talking about earlier, um, was taking a class his freshman year, um, I think it was called Race and Law, um, either that or Race and Politics, that doesn't matter. And so he would grace us with his presence every Sunday night for a home-cooked meal and I would give him a ride back to uh, his dorm. And so he would ask me a number of different questions about my views on race and how people of color have been oppressed in the United States in particular over the last you know, 200 plus years. And over the course of a semester, it became clear to me that I didn't like my answers, that I didn't have this all figured out, that I had a lot of unconscious biases that, that just weren't addressed and I wasn't proud of. And so I, my views were outdated and uneducated. And so, as you and I have talked about, I, I kind of went on a quest, if you will, to learn as much as I could about racial disparity, particularly in the United States over the subsequent four years. Uh, that was probably in 2017. So I uh, read everything I could, watched every movie I could, you know, YouTubes. I, I did interviews with people to try to learn more about it in eastern Iowa. And so I got a firsthand perspective about just how terrible we have done 
with racial uh, equity in the United States in particular over, you know, again, the last 200 plus years. And then, it, you know, it's almost like a, a kind of a God moment, not almost it was. And then the George Floyd incident happened. And it was almost like, in retrospect, I had, I had been positioned for that moment in time, right? I had, I had tried to reverse some of the biases that were there. I tried to do the best I could to learn more about the inequity that we had. And then I was, we were, through an unfortunate set of circumstances, a very unfortunate set of circumstances, we were, I think, as a society, as a country, as a state, as a credit union, and as a privileged white male, we were provided an opportunity to do something. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to some of the things yeah. that we've done in the recent years. Yeah, I think well, that's it's such a unique story. I'd like to give credit, too, because... We see a lot of organizations, especially recently, where they did do something, and then they stopped. Yeah. It seems to me, from from my observation, Green State is continuing, even post your yeah. retirement, to continue to do that. You know, yeah. Roderick is continuing that push, and yeah. the other individuals you mentioned are continuing that push. Um, it was trendy at the time to do it, or or risky at the time, right? I mean, it was a as, you know, it was a somewhat a polarizing moment in our in our country's history. Unfortunately, that. Um, one thing we did learn from it is that, and we talked about this before we went live, you know, having outstanding people in place like Kenya, Lindsay Broderick, et cetera, um, they're the ones that will make sure it has stick-to-itiveness, right, that it doesn't become just kind of a fad thing. It's it's a part of what the organization does, I think, on a go-forward basis. So, right. I know Joy's dying, but I, I also want to, you know, one of the things you said was about diversity, and, and, but I also think another thing that, that you all did at Green State, and when we see really good organizations, they're succeeding at it, it's also there's a sense of belonging. So yeah. you don't see, you're you're not just filling spots with diverse talent. You're also making them feel like they belong. Yep. We've got um, the equity groups uh, that have just really blossomed in the last few years. And so all the credit goes to the staff there that have helped try to build groups where a few people feel that connection, that, that connectivity, if you will. And that's, that's easier said than done. And especially in a, in a non-diverse state such as Iowa. So the first step that we can do again is, Apologize for keep using the word, but be proactive mm-hmm. about it, right? And I think that's that's a step towards proactivity. So, yeah. Joy, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No, no, not at all, Jeff. I, I, again, I I love that Nick talked about belonging too, and and the the continuing theme I hear you say, and you even even when you talk about your former staff, you you centered them, right? And you always are like, you know, I centered um, the diverse individuals that work for us, and I have to give it, and so. Did was that something that through your studies, through the work that you did, that you kind of picked up that skill to do? Because oftentimes in leadership, people get to a point where they're used to being centered. And so when you're used to being centered, that can be a huge barrier to have to shift. But it's a necessary barrier when you want to create belonging in your organization. So was there something I know George Floyd, too, but was there something like something that kind of helped you? just view it and say, you know what, I'm going to center the people that I really want to impact. Was there something that kind of helped you kick that off? No, that was really it. Again, and other than just the understanding that we as a society, as a state, as a country, we've made a lot of mistakes over the years. And and one privileged white guy in a sizable organization in Iowa is not going to reverse all that, but I can at least try, right? You can mm-hmm. at least go to bed at night knowing that you did what you could do, when you could do it. And that's all any of us can do, right? So, no, there wasn't, in the research and the reading, et cetera, there wasn't some kind of moment that, you know, some sort of epiphany or, or teaching moment that was just, I think when you look at servant leadership, right? 
that's going to be a premise of it, right? Is to try and get mm-hmm. somebody else in the in the limelight and give people the resources they need to do to get their jobs done well. So well, we talk about the space. I'm glad Joy asked that because if it, oftentimes maybe it's not a, an epiphany moment. Usually the word insidious means it's kind of a dirty word. Yeah. But really, you were insidious in your growth. In other words, you were on this journey before George Floyd. Yeah. And you had to realize some things uh, through your own readings, and so it sounds. It sounds. I don't without putting words in your mouth. <laughs> that there was just consistent personal growth amongst for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, be, so beyond a businessman, you were just having growth personally with you and your son. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And I, you know, again, I, I don't deserve any of the credit for it. You know, if Nate doesn't take that class and start asking me those questions, I'm probably not sitting here today. We that's probably, what I wanted you to say. We probably don't, you know, as an organization, we probably don't invest a billion dollars in, um, uh, in home loans for people of color and stuff. And so again, I, you know, we, I'm a, I'm a, as you know, I'm a religious person. I'm, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God put all those things in my life in a certain pattern, sure. in a certain chronology, um, so that hopefully we could do a lot of good things for a lot of people. So, I'm sorry, did question? Yeah. I don't want to cut anybody off because I'm. I, this gets excited to me because <laughs> um, I think people need to hear this. Yeah. How do you handle the social arrows in your life? So, how do you handle? How would you advise others to handle the, the negativity you may get? Maybe you get a phone call from an uncle or family or, or business partners or, or organizations who don't want to do business anymore, who see Jeff making these moves, or you're at a dinner party and you hear a, a you know, comment about immigrants, or you hear yeah. this comment. How, how does Jeff, the, the renewed soul, how do you handle that and how do you use those opportunities? Well, that's a journey. That's a great question, Anthony. Yeah, that's a journey for all of us, right? You know, the first yeah. thing that I got to remind myself is that I'm here really to please one person. It's not even myself. It's my creator, right? And so if I, if I at the end of the day, think that I made decisions that are consistent with what my creator uh, put me on earth to do, then ultimately that's kind of what drives me. And so yeah. I think I'm blessed in that regard and that I, I don't let some of the other stuff, you know, if somebody's got a problem with me being pro DEI or, or whatever, then I get it. Understand that. Respect your position. I don't. I don't agree with it, but I, you know, I'm here to respect and not judge. Where where it's harder question for me to answer is if I hear uh, the off color jokes. If I'm present when somebody's telling those stories, um, that's a journey for me certainly. But to be honest with you, I th- and I, this is going to sound like cop out. It probably is. That doesn't happen much in my world anymore. In all candor, because I think most people know kind of where I stand, mm-hmm. and so. I am just not privy to those kind of conversations. No time for it. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm and being I, funny. even, even my friends, uh, I think everybody in my circle of, of influence knows where I stand on these, on these issues. And right. so, you know, whereas I might've heard some of those kind of things 10 years ago, I just don't know. It's really interesting how that has morphed over the course of time because people know where I stand. I think it is interesting. And I'm glad you said that because it's when you morph and yeah. Well, so, so here's my question to that. So that doesn't happen without you letting them know who you are, right? So, because I, I think that you'll, I mean, I think back like, like Joel was saying, her time in the Air Force, me in the Navy, where some of that stuff was just so commonplace. Sure. It almost, you almost became like muted to it. Yeah. Um, and you, if you did say something, then it kind of worked, but you had to say something first. Right. Otherwise, people don't know where you're at. How was that part of that growth? Was that? Yeah, I wish I was that good. I don't think I deserve the credit for it. I think what happened, I, in all sincerity, I think what happened over the course of time is the people that were intimately close to me knew my stance, right? And then it just kind of grew. So if somebody did make a remark, 
that maybe wasn't appropriate, I, what I would bet you a dollar to a donut is that somebody in my circle of influence said, hey, he doesn't like that. Don't, okay. don't do that mm. anymore and stuff. So Interesting. I, 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 it's a bit of a cop-out, but I never had to have those conversations because that just sort of stopped happening in my world. And it's not like I'm hanging around with people wouldn't have those conversations that much anyway. Right. But to the extent that I did, it just doesn't happen anymore because I think Interesting. that that word just kind of spread. I wish I could say I, I deserve the credit, but I don't. <laughs> so, talk to, so I know you, you said earlier, it's interesting to talk post-Green State now, so you're, you're yeah. not there now. And, and one of the things that you said was that you you want this to, you want the work that you've done, not just you, but your collective team, um, to extend beyond you. Yeah. Um, how do you think they're doing? You know, it's oh, been a few months. What do you, what do you envision? What do you, what do you, how, they're leading the, you feel they're yeah. leading the way. What are they doing? I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the answer to that question uh, in great detail because I, when I went away, uh, Anthony, I went away 100%. So, I, I know. But, I, but I, I, I'd like to think, and I, I believe in my heart of hearts, that the momentum that was uh, started, you know, in the last, you know, four or five years, uh, I, I just feel like 100% will continue. You know, you've got wonderful people like Kenya and Lindsay and Broderick, et cetera, who will help us not only from an outward facing perspective, Mm -hmm. but also build belonging and inclusion inside the organization. And then we've made the commitment or green state, I should say, had made the commitment to a billion dollars of home loans to people of color um, over the next decade. And when I left, we were very much on track to continue um, with that as well. And so a commitment like that will will leave an impact for generations to come and quite frankly, generations that we never get to see, which I think is the coolest part about that is that, you know, if you were a homeowner, you know, 10 years ago, good for you because there's been a lot of appreciation in housing values over the course of the last decade, right? But if you were a renter, um, not so good for you because rent continues to increase and increase and increase. And so, you know, as a financial institution, there are only a number of things you can do to really move the needle for a generation but getting more diversity in homeownership is one of those things that Absolutely. can do and not only have an impact on this generation, but on their kids' generations and for generations to come. And so, you know, I, again, I'm not part of the green state uh, space anymore, um, but I, you know, of what I could see, uh, they're still on track. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. Hope we can't hear you, Joy. Think, are you muted? I can see yeah. Is that it? Okay. There you go. We can hear you now. Can you hear me now? Okay, yeah, yeah. sorry about that. Okay, so day one, right? Like when you start having, I, I, I love to talk like this because a lot of times I'm in spaces where people are kind of coming to that self-reflective of like, okay, I get it. Like things aren't exactly what they seem. And now I'm looking at the numbers and all of these things. And I've heard people then go, when, when you come to that point, Joy, there's this moment of being just overwhelmed. And I'm like, yeah, I get that, right? Because it's every day for me. But you know, And so that next step that like, okay, so what is the thing where we can kind of eat an elephant one bite at a time, even though I love that you said be proactive, because that's one of the things I push to like, you know, sometimes people have a tendency to like, okay, it's so much, I just want to pause and really get some professional in here to build out this maximum plan, which we do do that toprank.com, by the way. But <laughs> But then also for somebody that is in the space at an organization, that an organization is kind of open to doing something, what would be some of those next step recommendations that you would recommend for somebody to get started and get going in their DEI organizational journey? 
Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give that answer in two different ways. That's a great question. I'm gonna answer that in two different ways. You know, uh, one, if you're not a credit union, and my sample size is one, right? So I can only speak for what work personally worked for me, or hopefully what worked for uh, the organization. Um, but to educate yourself. I mean, really, if you've got to have a curiosity and natural born interest to educate yourself. And that doesn't mean just picking up books and watching movies. That means actually taking people out to lunch, breakfast, dinner, drinks, or whatever, um, getting to know people, right, uh, across from the dinner table and, and finding out what are the struggles that they're running into in their worlds, right? So step one, if you're a leader of an organization, you got to educate yourself and figure out if in your heart of hearts this is a passion for you. Because quite frankly, if you can't ignite that passion in their heart, I just don't I don't think it works. I just think it's an uphill battle and everything. So if you've got mm -hmm. that passion, uh, then the second step is really just to surround yourself with really good people, right? In our world, um, with Green State, I felt like we were able to do that with outstanding culture and a, and a clear okay. direction of what we wanted to do uh, from a diversity perspective. And so when you, when you surround yourself with really good people and give them a little bit of resources, the sky's the limit. I didn't come into this thinking, well, we should do X or we should do Y or should do Z. I kind of came into it thinking we should get really good people. And if we get really good people that. and get the heck out of their way, then then good things will happen. So that's for everybody that's not a credit union. If you are a credit union and happen to be listening, um, quite frankly, if you're a financial institution and happen to be listening, you know, what Green State committed to essentially was doing 10% of their assets in the form of home loans to people of color over the next 10 years. So we kind of called it 10 over 10. 10% of your assets in home loans to people of color over the next 10 years. And if credit unions across the country joined in that initiative, which we've talked about to other shops, or quite frankly, if banks engaged in that, that would really move the needle nationwide. You know, it's one thing yes. for one institution in one community, uh, as big as Green State was or is, um, but what you really move the needle for society is if that takes hold and uh, others follow suit. I know George bubbling that here that because yeah, I know George bubbling. George's all about the, the equity and the wealth side yeah, and generational wealth. I am. I am. That's sometimes people are like, oh, that'll come. And I'm like, that's the first that's the first, first. thing is like resources. Resources, yeah. resources. Like yes. start there. Because I love you said two things that I love too. You were like, I didn't focus on what we were gonna do. I focused on who we had, right? Like if you you yes. had the resources, you got good people. And you don't necessarily rely on that. I'm going to have all the ideas and concepts for how to do this. I'm going to hire excellent talent. I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm not going to, you know how sometimes yeah. people are like, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't want anybody coming in and coaching on my space and my power. You're like, no, no, I want the best talent possible because it's going to lend to our culture and it's going to make this work so much easier. So. I think I said two points, but that actually was three points that you made. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm a white guy from Iowa. I don't, I don't, I don't have the firsthand understanding that I need to have for what we can do to move the needle. And so, uh, the best I can do is to find the people that really do understand it, give them the resources, and then get out of their way. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. Jeff. So, so you've retired. Yes. I, we know of at least at least three other either really large credit unions or banks in the area where the CEO president has retired recently. Yeah. Or resigned, right? Left and did another did another career. And all of those organizations had a tie into DEI and B. Hmm. Is there anything? Is it just timing, or? Yeah, I don't. I don't see uh, kind of any correlation, at least that I know of. I mean, I don't know the details of the other situations. Obviously, like I do my own, but um, I think that would probably be coincidental. Just coincidental, to be honest. So, with you. so then, so at least my next question. So, as the leader of an organization like that. Obviously, you depend a lot on state regulation, state control, yeah. especially credit union, right? Yep. How does that work in a state 
okay, I won't use Iowa as a state like Florida, for example, you know, where they really seem to be attacking anyone that's trying to approach a subject. Um, how, how do you, how do you work with that battle? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know the intricacies of the other states as well as I could speak to in the state of Iowa. And this is where I'm going to maybe answer, but in a little different way than what you, from a layperson's outsider's perspective, it feels to me, and you know, Anthony and I talked about this maybe at lunch a little bit ago. We have, I felt like we as a society were making some level of progress. And I apologize, you ask a somewhat specific question. No, that's right. More. We as a society, I felt like we're making meaningful progress in recent years. And then in the last couple years, maybe the last six, I don't know, four to six, we have. I feel like we've regressed. I feel like we've made it okay to say things that, quite frankly, 10 years ago weren't okay to say, let alone think. Um, I feel like we're taking a little bit of step backwards. I feel like we're doing that at the state and the state level um, with some of the things that are taking place uh, in Des Moines. And so I get it. You know, the arc of justice, I think the quote is that, you know, it bends, it bends in the right direction. It bends towards justice. And that within that arc, there's going to be gradations, right? Things right. get better at times. They get worse. I feel like right now we're in a little bit of a dip. I, I feel like we've taken some steps backwards. And I, I think I could pinpoint maybe what's led to that. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that there's still a lot of education, a lot of better understanding that needs to take place in the United States and certainly here in the state of Iowa as well. So sorry, you asked a specific So how, how is a leader of an organizational that is intent still and very intentional of still trying to achieve the mission that you're trying to achieve of being at odds with the state and where they're trying to head currently? It's tough because, you know, at any point in time when you make a decision, roughly 50% of the people that you serve may not like that decision, right? And, and so in, in my previous world, that can mean 200,000 people, 200, people don't, don't like what we did or do. And so to me, I, I come back to what I said earlier, and that is that at the end of the day, if, if I feel like I've made decisions commensurate with what my creator put me on earth to do, then that that's where I'm going to try to go. And if somebody has a problem with it or somebody's uh, have a, have a problem with it, um, I get it. Um, but that's not ultimately my concern. Now, that being said, I, you know, when I was with the green state, I still had a fiduciary responsibility to do what was in the best interest for all of our members. And so you do have to be sensitive to the fact that decisions you make could alienate people. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like I'm going to try to toe that line as best I can, um, yeah. to make some progress. What keeps you up at night, Jeff? I like to ask all our guests that, you know, you, you obviously, you have the weight off your shoulders of running a multi-billion dollar yeah. largest credit union in the state. Yeah. I'm sure that kept you up at night. And we <laughs> talked about that, but what keeps you up at night these days? What, what keeps you? Well, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, um, is the, the 18 week old uh, puppy that we just got. <laughs> uh, so the golden doodle, uh, you know, for years I couldn't sleep through the night because of, uh, maybe some stress in my life. Now I'm setting my alarm to get up in the midnight you know, <laughs> to take care of the puppy and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I, that's probably the, I, I certainly uh, sleep wise, it's a lot, a lot different world for me now than it was before. I suppose to some extent, just figuring out what God has in store for me for the next chapter or chapters of my life. I am in absolutely no hurry to figure out what that is. Uh, I also want to be in a headspace where I'm okay if God says, I don't have anything else for you in mind. I, as you and I have talked about, I have three priorities in my life right now, my faith, my family, and my friends. I know I can be a better Christian. I know I can be a better husband, father, uh, son, and sibling. Uh, and I know I can be a better friend. And so right now, those are the three priorities in my life. 
And if God has something else in store for me down the mind or down the road, um, we'll figure that out. I hope your listeners, uh, I'm, where's the camera? I hope you're listening to that. Like that's, that's textbook self-reflection. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we can all do that. We can, we can all do that. So thank you for, for sharing that with no, us. My pleasure. Absolutely. Any other thoughts, guests? Comment? I just say, how do we, how do we get more, Jeff? How do we, and I know, and I love that too. I think it's so important that, especially when you're in leadership, so often you have to prioritize business and it's all about those decisions. And so I love in this moment of um, retirement for you that you actually are taking some time to be retired and prioritize faith, family, and, and friends. However, <laughs> I, <laughs> however yeah. I just think your story could connect with so many um, people, right? Um, I, I was in a diner um, maybe last year, uh, me and my hubby were sitting there, we were having breakfast and um, a couple was in there and their son from college was there. And he was just really just talking to them, having one of those conversations, like you said, about, you know, he was talking about healthcare and he was talking about, you know, dad, when you went to college, it was this expensive. Now it's this expensive and healthcare and student loans. And I could see that his parents, they were just like, okay, wow, this is a lot, right? And right. so I think, and um, also maybe last week, um, there's a, a doctor up here, Dr. Christensen, that he actually has a, um, a, um, a queer clinic that he works with people. And so he actually, based off his experience with his child as well, it's so funny how that works because that happens for me too, right? Like things that our family and our friends experience, they oftentimes awaken a certain calling in you. And so now based off his experience with his son, um, who is trans, he actually now goes around and educates other people. And for me, who I also have a trans daughter, um, it was still so educational based on the medical content that he shared, right? Like, and so there was in that room, and I love that in that space, everybody, there was people that ranged from like college students up to probably like my grandmother's age, and they actually got to like ask questions. And it just, and so I think about your experience based off of even what Dr. Christensen is doing around the queer community, I just think about your experience and how someone like you who's had an amazing career, who's led um, the largest um, credit union in our state, actually talking about that these things do exist and how that could um, really benefit the community. So I say that to say, whenever you're ready for your second career, I think it's in speaking. Yes. <laughs> you saying that and when that time comes i promise you i'll reach out because i do okay i do want to uh continue to give back in that uh, capacity so not we're not perfect. at that point just yet but i i can see it happening in the future so thank you perfect. the battle will be perfect. like for me when i retired the first time was it was my wife finally said no you need to go back to work so yeah <laughs> see, um, my wife is still working part-time out of the house and so it's a good balance we don't yeah, see each other all that there much you go yet, so, yeah. <laughs> i just like when i got out of the navy for a while i was like don't you have to go to sea for a week so. <laughs> no i think what joy said is important no i think uh you know, whatever your next move is, I think as long as you have an opportunity to continue to use your voice. And, and we certainly wanted to give you the platform for your voice today. I appreciate that. And hope that you continue to use your, your voice in the future because it's, it's very powerful. So thank you. So I hope you're ready. I got a doozy of a question now. All right. So when it comes to faith, right? Yeah. Especially in Christianity, there's a lot of feelings throughout other individuals that are faith-based, completely anti-LGBTQIA mm -hmm. plus 2S. Yeah. How do you see that in, in your faith of that reconciliation of where it goes one way or the other? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And this is where I'm really going to toe some lines here and stuff. But uh, as a Christian, 
um, for me, being a Christian is a binary process. You believe that, that Christ died on the cross to save your sins and rose again three days later. Everything else is gradations of sin, and we all have sin in our lives, myself uh, included. And so to me, it's a binary process. If you believe Christ that uh, died on the cross and was raised, you're a Christian, period, end of story, that's your salvation. I also understand that there are portions of primarily the Old Testament which uh, speak negatively about you know, same-sex attraction. But I also understand there are parts of the Old Testament which uh, they make a lot of assertions that, quite frankly, we would not apply in our world today. And so right. I'm, yes. not, I'm not here to interpret the Bible, but I, I do know there's also a couple references in the New Testament. I do find it interesting that Jesus himself, uh, to my knowledge, never really spoke to that issue. He spoke to a whole lot of other sins in our world. And so in full candor, I think it's sometimes easy for uh, people of faith to jump on sins that they deem as binary at the expense of overlooking sins that are beneath the surface. So you could, you could, I could be talking to someone and I, and they tell me that, that they are same sex attracted. Okay. That's a binary thing. You're same sex attracted. What I, when I'm talking to you or you or you, I don't know what your history is with Greece, uh, greed, lust, idolatry, uh, worry, envy, any one of a thousand other sins um, that might be beneath the surface. And so we as humans sometimes tend to gravitate towards what we know, and we can look at some sins or what we deem as sins and say, well, that's not consistent with what I read in the Bible. Meanwhile, we go home and have a thousand other sins beneath the surface. And so a good friend of mine, yeah. um, sorry, I probably told a lot of different lines there, but a good friend of mine talked about there's really just one person that, from my perspective, that walked on earth that was sinless, uh, and that was Jesus. And everybody else, we got a we got a ton of problems, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, right, right. You know, I, right. I'm not. I I am a hundred percent sure that it's not my role to cast judgment on anybody for their yeah. their decisions, right? That that job is not mine, and so I won't get too caught up in yeah. that sort of thing. And see, I was nervous asking that question, oh. but at the same point, I had faith that you were going to answer it like that. So. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It it it's been a it's been a topic of conversation, and I 100% get it. I you can point to you know the Bible is an interesting document in that you can point to you can almost point to different sections at different times, but different authors and come out with two dramatically different outcomes. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I think there's this risk that we as humans who are fallen and sinful, we tend to pick and choose the sections that that fit our ideology or the ideology that we grew up with and um yeah i think that's a little dangerous i i just think that's a little dangerous perspective yeah great it's great like they say with statistics right like you you can literally make statistics show whatever you believe yeah, yeah. there's statistics out there that can support what you believe too and then again I, I love it you even mentioned like it was really in the old testament and there's a lot of there was other things in the old testament that we no longer subscribe to right yeah. that we know in today's world it's just not what we subscribe to. So I, I, I love, I think that that is so, so relevant. Yeah. And again, Dr. Christensen's presentation, I mean, it, it talked about biology and things too. It, it even took it from a different lens that I was like, oh, this is really informative for me. And so I was just like, and, and again, having that, this is what I do. My daughter's queer. Actually, I actually have two queer children or whatever have you. And so having even that lens, I still learn too. And I think, I love earlier you said, you got to forever learn and you got to talk to people. And I think that that's the answer yeah. that sometimes we forget that and we get away from that and we get to like these spaces where, well, I'm 40 something or I'm 50 now. I know everything. And like, nope, yeah. you're not, not 50 at all. Yet, Joy. 
That's not a good point. You know, I, I think, uh, I, and I, re, you know, I remember Jeff when you you called me out of the blue. I don't even think we really knew each other, and we went and had lunch. And yes, you know, so it was more than reading. You were you wanted to talk right. to people, yeah. so I appreciate that. Um, you've dropped a lot of nuggets today. Uh, I know we, we could go all day. Thanks, um, as we kind of close out, is there anything else that you would share that you think would be helpful to our listeners? Uh, particularly leaders who've had the opportunity to have power, privilege, and platforms like you to drive purpose. Um, anything else you want to share? I give one bit of advice, but with a, with a, an asterisk, knowing that it, that most folks won't follow it, and that is to just be proactive in your learning. Um, that's and the good news about that is that uh, there's no other time in history of mankind where there are more free, cost-effective resources oh, to learn. Right? With yes. YouTube and TED Talks and podcasts and ChatGPT and Google, et cetera. If you want to learn, if you want to pick up the phone and have somebody or have a conversation with somebody, lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever it is, there are a ton of wonderful opportunities to learn. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is I'm not sure you or I or anybody else can put that want to learn into people that don't want yeah. to learn. If you don't, if you can't manifest an open mind, um, then I think you're kind of dead in the water. And yeah, stuff. We, we, we talk about that a lot. And that, you know, the, the Google machine is the greatest thing on earth. But, but the point is that there's no, there's reasons and there's excuses there. Yeah. There's reasons why people feel the way they do. There was a reason why you had to transform. There was a reason why Nick, I joy, Yeah. but there's no excuses for why you can't because there's too many resources. Yeah. So that's here to learn. So. I think you can learn. I think the hard part is, is infusing that want to learn. And then, as you said, if you get to be a certain age or a stage of your career, your life or whatever, where you just figure, well, I've got it all figured out. There's nothing left to learn. Uh, that's okay. Then I just think you need to mentally adjust the trajectory of your, of your career, of your life, of, of whatever, because when you stop learning, um, you stagnant and that's not the way that the world around us operates. Exactly. And I also think Jeff, from listening to your, your journey that, you know, you didn't just learn about stuff that was in your wheelhouse. I mean, you stepped out of your comfort zone. And I think that's key. And we talk about like that a lot with our, our clients too, or like you have to listen to all the different aspects and views yeah. and sometimes step out of your comfort zone and learn something yep. that isn't what's normally in your head. Yep. And I, and I get it. A, hundred, a lot of folks just won't be down with that. Right. You know, that they, they were raised, taught, educated a certain way. And so again, I don't know that I deserve credit for that because I think, Anybody in my that had the good fortune of the upbringing that I did taught me that you, it was really important to have an open mind to new ideas, especially ideas that you may not agree with, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I had those unconscious biases that I I needed to learn more about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where I was awesome. At. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. Thank, uh, you. thank you for joining Breaking Barriers. This has been a, like I expected a riveting conversation, <laughs> yeah. and really, that, really Jerry. enjoyed your, your insight. Uh, so take us out, Nick. Yeah, so a big shout-out to our Silver Diversity sponsor, Rise to Greatness. Uh, we also want to give thanks to our friends at Breaking Barrier supporters, Community Savings Bank, Tyler Lincoln Barnes DDS, and IMON Communications. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up. Send your questions, comments, suggestions to info at toprankculture.com. And over to Joy. We dropped two of these a month. And, again, this has been such a riveting year. If you haven't checked out some of our past ones, please, please do. You're missing some amazing conversations including this one. This is another great one. And so we're just excited. So again, get our, your questions to us. Thank you all for attending. And do we have anything else, partners? Break some barriers. Yeah, we'll break some barriers. Break, break some, some barriers. Continue to break barriers. Have a good one now. Advancing equity is not a one-year project. It's a generational commitment. 
There are too few people in the world willing to be the domino, too few people willing to take that fall.